0: forward to this. Um, uh, I know some may have looked at this and thought, boy, I'm dreading it. Uh, this would be a good day to miss. Uh, no, this is a good day to be in the Lord's house and see what the, what the passage has for us. It's always a privilege to get to just decipher and tear apart the words of the Lord and let the Holy Spirit apply them to our life. So if you would join me in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to do, I won't keep doing this, but I do want to back up and get a little running start. Our text is verse 27 to 30, so really only four verses today. But to put it in the context, we need to back up to verse 17 and then read down through verse 30. So we've already had two messages out of the first two sections, and we'll add the third today. Here we go. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount writes the following. Do not think. And one thing we noticed was what he means there is do not think for even a moment. Not even for a minute, don't think this because you may be tempted to think this based off what people will say about how Jesus lives his life and the teaching that he gives, but do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, which we know that phrasing means what we call the Old Testament, the Bible of the Jews. So I've not come to abolish them. I've not come to abolish the Old Testament, but to fulfill them. Literally what we learn now is that as God, and really only as God, He was born of a virgin. Only God was born of a virgin. Only God lived sinlessly. God in the flesh died on the cross for our sins. It was God that was resurrected. All of those things and many, many more. He fulfilled all the symbolism of the sacrificial system. So he does not abolish the law. He fulfills it. Again, more than keeps it, more than does it, okay? More than obeys the law. Some people could obey portions, but we don't fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, which puts him in a unique position to say the following. Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, not the smallest letter, not the smallest little mark will pass from the law until all is accomplished. All of it will be accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments... And teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So you have least in the kingdom of heaven. You have great in the kingdom of heaven. But verse 20 says, Christ says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And we noted the word exceeds means not even close. And so Christ says, unless your righteousness exceeds to the degree that it is not even close to that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. We have the least in the kingdom of heaven. We have great in the kingdom of heaven. We have those who don't even enter the kingdom of heaven. The only way to enter is by exceeding in a way that it's not even close. They're not as righteous as they looked. None of us can keep the righteousness that Christ is going to demand. That's going to be even more clear today. And so we need this alien outside of us kind of righteousness. And that's why we always have to put our faith and trust in Christ. And that's how you get saved through the power of his blood as we just sang. And in last week's passage, Jesus kind of makes some things clear about the law. He's not here to destroy it. He's here to fulfill it. And in so doing, he will clarify its meaning. Six areas. Here's the first. You have heard... That it was said to those of old, and they would hear this and agree, absolutely, this is what we've heard. This is what you've heard. You shall not murder. Check, we've heard that. And you've heard this, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Right, Deuteronomy, we've got that. We've got Exodus, Deuteronomy. You're right in line with what Moses says. But then Jesus says, but I say to you, and this would have blown them away. Last week we looked at chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, where when Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, they're completely astonished at not only the content of his teaching, but at the stance and the authority with which he teaches. Can he he do this? Does he have the right to do what he's doing here? Absolutely he does. He's the one who fulfills the law. So you've heard don't murder. You've heard if you murder, you'll be liable to the judgment. Here comes Jesus. I say to you that everyone who is angry, You've heard, don't commit murder. I say, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults, which means to insult their natural intellectual ability that God gave them. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, attack someone's character. Whoever does that will be liable to the hell of fire. So, here's a couple of conclusions from this. If you are offering your gift at the altar They're getting ready to offer an animal sacrifice in their day. And there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. So don't offer. the Okay, but you're going to come back. There's going to be a first and then situation. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gifts. So again, he's not saying don't offer gifts. That's not an option. Nor is withholding peace an option go reconcile get peace together with the person and then come and offer your gift just don't compartmentalize the gift don't flip the switch i'm ready to make an offering to the lord verse 25 here's another situation come to terms quickly with your accuser be open to the to the idea you may be guilty of what you're being accused of they're getting ready to take you to court you're going to go stand before the judge jesus says come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge. Don't let it get to the judge, is what Jesus is saying. And the judge hand you over to the guard, and you be put in prison. Jesus says, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny, the last little portion. Once you let it get to that, you will pay all. Then we get to today's text. So that was the first one. Here's the second out of six. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Right? That's in the law. That's in Exodus 20. That's one of the ten. You've heard that it was said. He doesn't say it, but it's implied. You've heard that it was said to them of old, you shall not commit adultery. Check, right. We know not to do that. But I say, can you do that? He does. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we need to read 28 again. You've heard that, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Very stern. And that's strict. We thought Jesus was not strict as them. Now he seems like he's more strict. And then he gets extremely radical. If your right eye, your best eye, that's the idea. If your right eye causes you to sin i keep noticing my eye keeps leading me to sin he says if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away right put a patch on it no no tear it out throw it away why would we do that for it is better better is a key word i think in verse 29 and 30 Jesus, who's authorized and qualified to say these things, says, It is better to, that you lose one. One. This will be opposed to another word in a moment. It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. We would all agree with that. That is better. That's not best. Is there any best? Well, best is don't break verse 28. If you find you keep breaking verse 28, then go to verse 29. That is better than the end of verse 29. And if your right hand, your hand keeps causing problems. Got to touch where you shouldn't be touching. If your right hand causes you to sin, keep noticing the right hand, strong hand. I need my right hand. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. He doesn't say tie it behind your back, cut it off throw it away, be done with it, why would we do that, for it's better that you lose one of your members, but this is important, I got to have my right hand, have to have my eyes, it's better that you lose one of your members, than that your whole body go to hell, so we all ready to sing, shout it out, right, good praise service, and like uh-oh, I should have wore two pair of pants today, this is going to be like uh-oh, I think we're going back to the bedroom, now. It's going to be good. God, God has good things for us. But we do need to deal with the text. Jesus is the one who fulfills the law. As such, he is God. Since he is God, he is the one who is most qualified to truly interpret, best interpret. I'm not going to say he's the only one qualified to interpret the meaning of the law. I know the apostle Paul and Peter and others do that. Jesus is best qualified to interpret the law, and here he goes on six areas he's going to show us. This is where they have been relaxing the true meaning of the law. I'm going to give you the true meaning of the law, and in the process, you should be getting a glimpse of what it means to be more righteous, to exceed in righteousness, to such a degree that it's not even close than what the scribes and the Pharisees. Can we all agree on a couple of things? If someone obeys verse 27, they never commit adultery with their body, but inwardly they're raging with lust. So there's that person. They don't break the commandment with their body, the seventh commandment with their body. But over here's a person who not only keeps that, but they don't break Christ's commandment of not even lusting inwardly. Like this person, they're full of lust, but they don't break it externally. This one surely doesn't commit externally because they don't even allow the sin to rage internally. We would say that person's righteousness is exceeding, it isn't even close to that. That's one kind. This is a whole other level, and this is what Christ is calling his people to. Very clearly, he's calling us to that. So this morning, I need to make a few kind of disclaimers before we begin. Here's one. You're going to hear me say he, him, his a lot. That's the, that's the pronouns used in the text. But ladies, this does not mean this does not apply to ladies. This does not mean that ladies are immune to lusting. We know better than that. So this is for both genders, even though I will probably be caught saying him and his and he a lot, like Christ does in the text. Second disclaimer, this is very, very important. This text is not a text or a message against sex. This is not a passage or a text against sexual desires. Listen to me. Sexual desire is not automatically sinful. Sex and sexual desires were part of the original creation. And when God stepped back from the original creation, he said, it is two words. What? Two words. Does anybody know the two words? It is very good. You say, Jeff, are you trying to imply, I'm telling you that, sexual desire, sexual drive is as much a part of our human creation. It was in Adam and Eve. You think they had sex? Of course they did. You think they had sex drives? Of course they did. Like before the fall, yes, in the garden they had sexual desires. It was as much a part of being human as having arms and legs and a brain and lungs and a heart. That is not what's happening here. This is not a passage against sex and against sexual desires. We want to be clear on that. But we know that sin entered creation and it tainted the creation and now God has to regulate sex. And so how does He do that? He gives us these parameters. I'll give you the parameters. Real simple. Sex within a marriage between a husband and a wife is not just called okay. It's called a blessing and good in that. Outside of that, it's not good, it's not okay, it is not blessed by God. Now church, I not you to listen real carefully here. I'm, I'm going to chase a real quick rabbit here. When we're giving our message about sexual purity, our message is not primarily along the lines. We need to tell this generation, if they break, get outside of God's boundaries, they're going to get sexually transmitted diseases. Well, they will. And, and they may have unwanted pregnancies out of wedlock. That very well could happen. So that's our message to this generation. No, that's not our message. That's a little down the line. Oh, by the way, you may get sexually transmitted diseases and you may have unwanted pregnancies if you go outside of God's boundaries. That's not our main message because if that is, here comes the world. Hey, don't worry. Protect yourself with this. Oh, you have something? We've come up with some solutions. Take this and it'll treat the disease. Oh, you have an unwanted pregnancy? Just get an abortion. So if that's our only message, then that's pretty weak. The world has solutions, sinful solutions. So it's more than that. Our message, if I could put it in a little reverse order, is this. Sexual sin atrophies the soul. And no matter what the world's solutions ever come up with, they're never going to be able to address that. Sexual sin, outside of God's parameters, atrophies, shrinks, shrivels up, weakens your soul. It always will. But primarily it's this. It is sin against the holiness of God. So sexual, our, our message is sexual sins. Hey, over here, it's not, sex is not a bad thing. Sexual desire, sexual drive is not a bad thing. God created both. They were in the original creation. He called them very good. But outside of that, it is offensive to the holiness of God. It offends god's holiness and it atrophies our soul now we need to get those clarifications as we go into our so it's not like okay sexual desire that, oh I, i'm afraid i've got some sexual desires within me yeah you're human it's okay it's all right two things to focus on this morning number one just like last week this is not the exact same point as last week but it could have been the same it carries over again it is the same here it is jesus calls for pure hearts Did you catch that in the text? Jesus calls for pure hearts. He comes along and he says, You've heard it was said, this, yes, Moses says that. I I, I cannot, again, I won't do it this week. I know I spent a little time on it last week, but even there I didn't have the words to portray how astonishing this would be when Christ says, You've heard it has been said that you shall not commit adultery, but, but why? What do you mean, but? But I say, What do you mean, but are you putting yourself on a par with Moses? No, he's putting himself above Moses. I'm going to propose to you that Jesus as God, the one who fulfills the law, is qualified to do what the scribes and the Pharisees could not do. What I see here is exactly what they tried to do in other places, and they were wrong for it. Christ does not put up with them doing it. And here he comes along and says, but I say, and what does he say? He says, if you even have it in your heart, if you look with a lustful intention on a woman, you've already committed adultery. You've heard this, but I say this. If I'm in that audience and I'm in a Jew, Jewish phase of mine, I'm probably thinking, is, this, is he allowed to do this? This isn't a like small addition. This is huge. This changes everything. In only two paragraphs, Jesus, you've put all of us in the category of murderous adulterers. Can he do this? Absolutely he can. He is the one qualified to clarify the law of Moses and to correct the scribes' attempts at laws. Christ can do that. And he says it this way. You've already committed. Lord, by the way of what you're saying, then we're all, as I said, murderous adulterers. Or maybe you want to say we're adulterous murderers. Either way you look at it, it doesn't look good for us. Now, what is this? Look again at verse 28. Let's spring from there for a few minutes. So here's Christ calling for pure hearts. Verse 28 again, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm going to borrow from a couple of my favorite guys here at the beginning to help us out. Why is this sin? Why is this sin? What makes it sin? John MacArthur writes the following. And I'm using these because I really believe these guys. So I hope, I want to read them three times because I've read them 15 times this week. But I can't. MacArthur writes the following. Jesus is not speaking, so he is not speaking of, listen, unexpected and unavoidable exposure to sexual temptation. This is not what Christ is talking about. Unexpected, oh no, unavoidable, minding your own business and you're exposed to sexual temptation. Oh no, something came up. It looked good to me. Lord, forgive me. You haven't sinned. That's not what this is. Unexpected, unavoidable. You didn't go looking for this, he continues. When a man, and this is just one little scenario, okay? When a man sees a woman provocatively dressed, Satan will surely try to tempt that man with lustful thoughts. Count on it. He's going to try to do that. Now, we could have another message. Why is she provocatively dressed? Why is she being a stumbling block to her brothers in Christ or to the the world at large? Why are you doing that? That's a separate message on modesty. Today is about the lust that's in the heart of mankind. So we go back to our quote. He says, when a man happens to see a woman provocatively dressed, Satan will surely try to tempt that man with lustful thoughts. But there is no sin if the temptation is resisted and the gaze is turned elsewhere. I'm going to add to that just a little. Not only is the gaze, oh, discipline, I look away, but you don't replay the image that you just saw in your mind. So the gaze, the attention, all of that, you turn away. You have not sinned if you have resisted. Now Satan's going to try. Oh, did you see that? Look again. Look back over and over. Nope. Okay, keep keep thinking about it. Nope. This person hasn't sinned if they turn their gaze elsewhere, resist the temptation. And then just one sentence of what it is from him, MacArthur writes, "It it, it is continuing to look in order to satisfy lustful desires that Jesus condemns. And another one that I often borrow from is Barclay. He writes the following. Very important. I'm starting again with what it is not. Barclay says of Jesus in this passage, he is not speaking of the natural, normal desire which is part of human instinct and human nature. So I need to read that again. Because this goes back to sexual desire is as much as part of our human nature and human instinct as again arms and knees and toes and fingers and yes you were born with that he is not speaking quote he is not speaking of the natural normal desire which is part of human instinct and human nature so what is it this is going to be said so simply but this was the one that for me in my mind clarified the most here it comes Barclay says according to the literal meaning of the Greek that means the Greek language The man who is condemned is the man who looks at a woman with the deliberate intention of lusting after her. You say, that's kind of interesting. DSB has done an awesome job of translating this. Here it is again. The man who is condemned is the man who looks at a woman with the deliberate intention of lusting after her. He so in other words, it's the man who looks back. I could say it's the man who hunts for, the man who seeks out. You could almost put it in a position where he's driving down the road, and all of a sudden, why are you now speeding up? I thought we were chilling. Oh, now he's speeding up because he has a bad intention. He's deliberately intending to stir something. Why are we slowing down? You were zipping around over here 83 miles an hour, passing everybody. Yeah, but I saw something in that car. Or now I'm slow. Why are you slowing down? Why are you speeding up? Are you, why are you looking back? What's, what's going on? What's, what, you seeing somebody back over there? You, I notice you, keep, you can't keep your attention. What are you doing? Yeah, it's the looking back over and over and over. It's that idea. He continues. He writes the following. He says, the man who, Barclay says, the man who is condemned is the man who deliberately uses his eyes. Eyes, I've got an assignment for you. What do you need me to do? It's the man who's condemned, Is the man who deliberately uses his eyes to awaken his lust. The man who looks in such a way that passion is awakened. And desire deliberately stimulated. So it's, can I put it this way? Verse number 28 says, I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, with lustful intent, can I propose this? I'm going to step away from them now and give you my two cents. Could we agree there's a difference between looking and seeing? Does that sound right in your head? So there's looking, and then there's seeing. Oh, saw something. Saw someone. There's seeing, and there's looking. Jeff, why are you making a big deal about this? This is not ascribing sin to seeing someone that your brain perceives as attractive. Oh, no, I saw someone in my brain thought they looked good. You horrible person. How dare you be human? That's not this. I'm going to split hairs, and I don't even know if I have the words to get it across. I have it in my head. I don't know if I can get it. And I might not even be right here, but I think this is correct. There's a difference between looking and seeing, but I'm gonna propose there's even a difference between looking. It's not just all looking. I'm gonna propose it is the way you look. It's the way you look, it's how you look, it's why you look. I think that's what Christ is talking about. So, as I defended some young guys last week, and you know, and they're not necessarily truly insulting each other's intelligence when they do some of the things that they would only say to a true friend. Let's go back, but let's make them a little younger this week. you got some 12. you got a gang of three or four guys. They're 12, 13, 14 years old. They're down at the mall, right? So picture, they're down at the mall. They're at the food court slamming down some Chick-fil-A. And all of a sudden, a group of girls, three or four girls, their age, walk nearby. And the one young guy says to the other guys, or to his favorite buddy across from him, dude, three o'clock. No, stupid, my three o'clock. You're nine o'clock. And he looks, oh, sweet. And, and they, dumb, and young guys are going, we don't really do that. We're not that dumb. But here they go. Like, oh, I think they saw. Oh, they did say, they're looking. And the girls think they're cute, and they think they're pretty. Five bucks, man. No way. Dude, you're stupid. I'm not going over there making a fool. The other guy says, I'll give five also. Tim, no, no. Fifteen, no. I'm not. Twenty. Oh, I'm going. I'm going. What am I going to say? I don't want to do the same stupid thing you did last week when the girl shot you down. Okay, yeah. Let's try that again. That ain't sin. I don't think. That is not. That's being human. That is not what Christ is talking about. So, what is it? Here we go. I'm going to propose this. This is it. This speaks of intentionally looking at a person with the purpose of lust. Again, it's not just seeing. Uh oh, Saul. And it's not just looking, it's the way you look, it's how you look, it's why you look. I'm going to throw this out. It's not even one of my main points. I read one man, just one, offered this. I think it was D.A. Carson. And he kind of leaned this direction to which he feels that what Christ is really talking about is that it's the man, listen, you've seen this, it's the man who looks in a way, it's the way he looks, he's looking in a way to try to stir lust in the woman for him. Who had not seen that little thing played out? Uh Got some chemistry going. And looking there when they shouldn't be looking there and keep cutting over, keep cutting over. That's adultery in the heart. They're married, and they're married. What are you doing? This is not the kids in the mall. This is a total separate situation. Trying to look in such a way as to stir up something. Now, it could be that, and I'm sure that is definitely included with this, but it's the way you look, whether they're looking back or not, what's going on inside of this person. I'm going to propose, I'm going to make a big sentence here. It's got some commas to it. I believe that by the measure of Jesus in this passage, hear me, millions, and I mean tens of tens of tens of millions of Americans commit adultery dozens of times with multiple people in their heart every day by this measure. Millions upon millions upon millions of Americans commit adultery with multiple people dozens of times through the day. Now some, it's not multiple people, it's a person that is in their life that comes up in the normal course of living each week. It may be every other day, it may be five days a week, it may be one day a week, but that person comes and in their heart they're totally wrong in their thoughts and how they look. And it's that one person. Other people, it's not a person. It's any old person that will come along. Any stranger will do. Listen to me. Some are so consumed. Some are so enslaved that... They have subconsciously created these habits. I mean, literally, they can't drive down the road without constantly looking for possible opportunities. Is there a chance for adultery over there? Is there a, ch- is there a candidate? Oh, there's a candidate. Ah, not, not that one. Oh, no, no, over there. Speed. up. They can't ride down the road, but their head's on a swivel. Every now and then catching the road. I wonder how many wrecks happen in the United States because guys, just rubberneck looking all the time, like, oh, over oh, there's one chasing them down like what are you doing oh yeah you're feasting your eyes your intention is lust there lust there lust there that's why i can stand and say jeff you said dozens of times come on dozens that means at least 24 two dozen yeah once an hour easy every day and don't even know they're doing it that's pretty obvious when you see it can't keep their eyes on the road, like, but they're not the only ones, Christ sees our heart, so here's this other person, and things on the outside look all squared away, and everything looks pure, but on the inside, lust is raging, because they're mature, and they've disciplined themselves externally, but boy, in the heart, and the thing is, God sees the whole thing, they're never fooling God. God knows why the man sits where he does at the restaurant. Always insists. Got to sit in that one why. There might be a candidate. Or waiting in line for the little thing to vibrate and go, Oh, it's our turn. Already spotted my victim today. Might be able to create something. And they already know where they're going. And God knows the heart. Why are you angling yourself as you're sitting in that position? What God sees your heart. You're not fooling anybody. And oh, by the way, ladies, God knows when you buy a novel and you want more than a good story, you read the story because you like how it stirs up sinful lust in your heart. You're not given to, to the sight so much, but, boy, you love the words, and you create this fantasy. It's sin. It's adultery in the heart, and Christ sees the whole thing. Jesus is teaching, listen, we are what we are in our heart. You are, and I am what I am in my heart. You are what you are in your heart. If a person goes through life or has thoughts of stealing, they literally have thoughts of, we'll steal something, you are a thief. If you go through life lusting and lusting, you are an adulterer. You've already committed it. You've done it in your heart. You are an adulterer. What Christ is saying is what happens in the heart, what is in the heart, counts as if the body has done it. And somebody that might be new to Graceview this morning is probably thinking these people come here every week to listen to this, this book. By the measure of this Jesus, <laughs> I don't know what they said last week, but those verses on anger, and you put that together with this, then nobody's holy. Then we're all sinners. Uh, bingo. We have a huge problem. We need a Savior because we've all broken these. All of There's not one person in here. I've never done either one of these things. I've never been wrongfully angry, and I've never had a lust. You lie. Now you're a liar. We need a Savior, right? Amen. So now let's go to our second thought this morning. Number two comes out of verses 29 and 30. Jesus' cure requires extreme measures. Did you catch that? So he he calls for a pure heart, but boy, his cures call for extreme measures. Jesus doesn't just expose a problem with no solutions. He exposes our problem and then he gives a solution, but even there, frankly, this is still hard for us to do. But he's going to say, here's a solution. And if you were paying attention, verse 29 30, look at these. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Verse 30 If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. I read, tear it out, cut it off throw away I'm thinking Jesus means serious business about dealing with our sin problems Jesus is serious about this Wiersbe says in essence you thought verses 28 verse 28 Boy, I found that kind of convicting I think I'm guilty Wearsby writes the following deal listen deal immediately and decisively with sin don't taper off cut off so if you're sitting here like, man, that verse 28, I, I, that got me all over. I, that, you went down the line saying, this is, that's how I live life. Don't taper off, cut off. Be ruthless. That's what Christ is saying. Be ruthless. Do you know I heard of a man? In fact, I looked his name up this morning. I think it was, if I can remember. Oh, Aaron Ralston. So he's a rock climber. Years ago. He's like climbing rocks and rock climbing and he's in this boulder canyon out in southeastern Utah a few years ago and while he's descending in one of these boulder canyons one of the boulder shifts pins his right hand against the part of the canyon. I mean it is pinned. He cannot move. He I mean, he, would very foolishly went by himself, and he didn't tell anybody where he was going. Two crazy things: don't go rock climbing by yourself, and don't if you do, don't just do it without telling people where you are. He's out there after one day, he's stuck after two days, after three, after four. Finally, on the fifth day, he takes an old, dull pocket knife, and the man I don't know how he did it, but he cut his arm off so he could live. You say, I just don't know that I could do that. Me either. I think it probably took. Later, you say, did he live? Absolutely, he lived, and he wrote a book, something to the title of somewhere along the lines of Between a Rock and a Hard Place. It's a good title for for him. I don't don't think he's a Christian. Maybe he is. I don't think he is, but he's probably got some wisdom in that. Yeah, when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, you'll do some crazy things because I want to live. I want to live. You want to live? Christ is saying, you want to live? If you're stuck being pinned down by sin, then you may have to do some extreme things. And it's okay. His cure calls from extreme things. So, here we go. I'm not going to spend long on the first four because they're not actually in our text. If you're sitting here and say, Jeff, me and 96% of the other men in here and 50% of the women, we're all guilty. Got any advice? I'm going to give you five things i almost had seven but i thought no let's do five this is manageable hopefully guys i'm ladies and guys listen what i'm going to tell you i promise will be effective in bringing you victory over this sin we're going to call it five strategies to victory over lust five strategies to victory over lust i'm going to tell you if you will do these things is this going to be easy it may not be easy they're very very simple But I'm telling you, if you will put these five things into your life, you will start seeing some victory come into your life. You want to shortcut one or two? Not going to work. Pick one. I'm going to focus just on the one. Start focusing on it. But you better be adding these others very quickly because one alone by itself will not do the job. So Jeff... Can I set up a time and we need to talk about my, okay, we, we might could do that. I'm going to probably tell you this is what I'm going to go back and tell you to. And if you just walk out, okay, yeah, got it. Okay, and you don't put it in your life, you're never going to see any victory. If you'll go out today, put these things in your life, you're going to start seeing some victory. What are they? Number one, feed your spirit. I'm talking to Christians here. Unsafe person, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. Uh, you don't have a chance you can keep trying to turn over a new leaf and strong will your way through and I'm just going to pull, pull up by my bootstraps and conquer this thing. You know, it makes my wife mad. I'm not a Christian, but she really hates that I have this pornography problem. Okay, I don't really have a lot of help for you until you give your heart and all your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his righteousness and put your faith in what he did on the cross. Once you do that, now you say, hey, I'm in that group. I'm a born-again Christian. Then feed your spirit. Listen to me. We were all born... With these bodies that are awake, that are alive, we're born with these souls that are awake and aware, but we're born with a dead spirit. When you become a Christian, one of the terms of salvation is called regeneration. We call it being born again. What's born again? You're not born again physically, and you're not born again and again and again. You're born again one time. What happens? Your dead spirit is alive. Don't you listen? Your spirit has an appetite. You say, right, my body has this huge appetite, and it's growing more and more as I get older. Yeah, join the club. Your spirit really does have an appetite. It wants spirit food. It wants some soul food. And I'm not talking about meatloaf and macaroni and cheese and, and mashed potatoes. Okay? I'm not talking about that kind of soul food. I'm talking about real soul food. Go with me if you would, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. The other day this chapter or this psalm, all 176 verses I believe it is, was in my reading. Just so happened it was this week. And so that's why this is a good one to put into our message today. Feed your spirit. What does this mean? It's right in the text, Psalm 119. Almost every verse has something to do with the Word of God. And I know you're probably thinking, oh, here we go. Preacher exposes a huge problem that we all have that's hardly even manageable. And the solution is prayer in the Bible. Okay, have that attitude or we can look at this and look what the psalmist writes. Verse 9. Here's what the Bible says. This is God's Word. How can a young man keep his way pure? So we've all sinned. We confess our sins to the Lord. We get pure. But how can I keep my way pure? By guarding it. Guarding your way. According to your word. So we know the word of God is extremely important. How can I keep my way pure? I have this huge problem that's been exposed in Matthew five twenty-eight. How can I keep my way pure? The text says, By guarding it according to your word. Keep going. With my whole heart. I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So don't let me just stray. The very first psalm in the psalm books is, says that the blessed man is the one who delights in the law of the Lord day and night. He spends time meditating, delighting in the law of the Lord day and night. Here it comes back. This whole psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible, is all about the effects and the value and the power that's in the Word of God. The psalmist says, one of the ways I'm going to keep myself pure is with my whole heart. This is not riding down the road, driving, listening to some good stuff, good Christian things. Wonderful, that's not this. Okay, This isn't the little devotional thought out of my daily bread. That's going to power me through. That's a nice little Scooby snack. That's not going to power your spirit. You need something much stronger than that. How many minutes, Jeff? I can't tell you how many minutes. All I'm saying is set a time where it's just literally you and God with your whole heart. That means, God, you're going to get my full attention. I'm going to get a quiet place, and I'm going to spend my time. I've got this thing over here. It's been beating me down. I'm tired of it, and the answer is, Lord, I'm going to spend time. There's this triangle that's going to form. It's be your word, you, and me, and we're just going to be doing this, and I'm going to be letting it drive me to you. With my whole heart, I seek you. So I'm not just reading the Bible. I'm reading the Bible to know you, to seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. Boy, I get really weak when I do that. Verse 11. Remember this for a few minutes from now. I have stored up your word in my heart. I take it with me everywhere is the idea. Why are you storing up? Why are you memorizing? That I might not sin against you. So how can I keep my way pure? Feed your spirit every day. Spending time with the Lord Okay, Jeff, if I do this like 20, 25, 30 minutes, even 15 in the morning, I'm good to go. It's a good base that's not going to keep you pure all day. That's why you need the second. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I had a a good time with the Lord this morning. Awesome. Keep doing it. Your spirit will grow stronger and stronger. It will grow more and more robust. You're learning more and more what the Holy Spirit sounds like because he's the one who wrote the Word of God. But now we find ourselves in Galatians 5. If you want to flip over there, Galatians 5. We only have three additional texts this week, and we'll have one in a few minutes, but this is the second additional text to Matthew. Galatians 5, very important passage. So we're going to feed our spirit on a regular basis. But even that Christian still struggles With morality and internal thoughts. Absolutely we do. Verse 16. Here's what Paul says. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And here's what God's Word says. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I always word it this way. You have to forgive me if you've heard it ten times. If your goal is to never go west. uh, Whatever I do, I don't want to go west. Then what should you spend your life doing? going east go east keep going east verse 16 i say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh so the flesh your body has these desires which are in and of themselves not sinful i mean boy i don't have time to re-preach romans your body has these desires it likes food it likes to look at beautiful things it likes to rest but if you give it a chance, our sinful old nature will try to take over and pervert these desires to gluttony and being a sluggard and being lustful and adulterous in our heart. But I like to look at a beautiful thing. Okay, everybody does. That's normal. That's human. But it can be turned sinful. If you will walk in the Spirit. So listen, here comes. What is this walk in the Spirit? I don't know any way to, to make that more clear than to say... Walking in the Spirit to me is to identify, to locate the Holy Spirit's presence. There you are, and then I am going to consciously surrender to your thoughts. What thoughts do you want me to have? Well, something just happened. I just saw something, and it's about to take me down a a wrong road. There you are, Holy Spirit. What thoughts do you want me to have? What feelings should I have, and what actions should I have? Watch verse 17. If we will do that, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For here's a principle. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you you're in the middle there to keep you from doing the things you want to do here's a principle i've so my spirit that was born again in 1979 as a 9-year-old wants and desires to go after the things of the lord but the old me The old sin nature that still wants to use the appetites, the the decent appetites, the non-sinful appetites that are in my body, it tries to use that and tries to put its hooks in my spirit so that it's constantly like, nope, you're not going. And and it really holds me back. There's not been a day in my life I've been the Christian that I want to be. But there's this other principle that the old nature wants to go to sin. And here here it goes after sin. It wants to take these desires and, and, and just gratify them sinfully. But there's another principle. The Holy Spirit and my new awakened spirit, it latches its hooks into the flesh and says, no, 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 no. We will never wallow in that again. And here I am in the middle. Every Christian in this room knows that principle. You're like, that is a fact. This keeps me from being what I really want to be. But then the spirit keeps me from what the old me wants to be. And there's just this... Feed the Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Back to Matthew. Number three. Third help. Proven strategy. And I don't have time to preach it. And that is this. I I mentioned it last week. It's in your handout this week. Here it is. Understand Romans 6. Jeff, I need some help. Are you feeding your spirit every day? Time with the Lord. Have you learned what the Holy Spirit sounds like? Do you run to him when temptation comes? Do you surrender to his thoughts and feelings and actions? Listen to me. You say, he keeps mentioning this. Romans 6. What's going on? Three words. No. K-N-O-W. No. What does that mean? If you'll study it out, you say, I'm not really good at interpreting the Bible yet. Go online. We have these sermons recorded there. Go back and listen to the ones that lead up to that. Is that important? Well, that'll take me a little while because you like preach an hour all the time. It may take you a little while, but go back and listen to the ones that lead up to that because it's so important. This is such a big deal. I use Romans 6 often. What it's teaching is that once... A lot of Christians don't know this, grace you should. When Christ was dying on the cross, and I'm going to eventually put my faith in him in modern times, when he was dying on the cross for sin, I am in him so that what he's doing on the cross counts for me. He's dying for sin, and I'm dying to sin. It is not my master anymore. So that's the first thing. Every Christian needs to know, wait a minute. Are you saying we don't have to sin? You need to know you do not have to sin That old sin, the one that you're prone to, like lust, keeps calling your name and it's got you on speed dial. It is not your boss. You say, okay, got it. I've heard you say that multiple times. We should be good, right? No. The second one is consider. In the moment... When you've just seen something unexpected and unavoidably exposed you to sexual temptation, in that moment, you had better consider what you know academically in your head, you better consider it to be so. Wait a minute, sin, you're trying to tempt me and get me to go in that and wreck my day and cause my mind to go in the wrong direction. You are not my boss. And so, Jeff, what's the third word? You've got to study this out. It's the word present. So I'm gonna to offer to you. Learn good theology rely on it in the moment by considering it to be so but be so busy keeping your mind and your eyes presented as instruments and weapons to be used for God that there's no time for them to be used as instruments and weapons for sin there's no time for my eyes and my mind to go looking and thinking about that because my mind is looking and thinking about these things feeding the spirit and relying on the spirit number 4 so you better understand Romans 6 and number four actually ties back into number three. Here it is. Be armed with specific scriptures. Right, go read our Bible. True, but when temptation, this particular temptation comes, you can maybe go read the genealogies. I don't know that they're going to help you. And you might even go back and read Genesis chapter. You know, I'm going to read five chapters of Genesis. Cain and Abel. Okay, that's probably not going to help you. As much as specific passages of scripture like Romans 6 so last week I had a book by Rand Hummel and I offered it and I we're out of those and we'll have some more come in got a dozen more coming so if you didn't get a copy of that and you would like a copy of his Lest You Fall I'm sorry a copy of his uh, Turn Away Wrath then Lord willing see me next week they should hopefully be back by then I'm going to propose this one to you he has three of these and this one goes along with today's topic this one's called Lest You Fall has to do with meditations to fight moral impurity. There's like three or four copies on that table right there. I kind of thought people that were bold enough and courageous enough and hum- humble enough to come get a turn away wrath one, it would probably be more difficult to come say, Hey, in a crowd of people, Jeff, can I get one of those last two falls? I've got a bad pornography problem. Okay, you're probably not going to be doing that. And so there's a couple over there, and there's three or four right over there. And then I think on that table back there is a couple, and that's how many I have. And I can probably leave this one up here. And if you're pretty, you know, pretty good with your hands, you might be able to just kind of, oh, oh. Hey, how's it going? Good. Good to see you. Uh, or, hey, just be honest, man. I need that. I just need it. just need it. And if so, we'll try to get you help there as well. We've got some more of those coming. Listen. This guy really helps us out because he writes the following. I've used this quote so many times. He says, Meditation is essential for anyone who desires to stay pure. And there's this thing, okay, meditation, this person thinks it means that. that means, they think it means that. Is this like the, the Far Eastern version of meditation? No. You want to know what a word means? How is it translated in other ways in Scripture? Hummel writes the following So listen. He says, the word translated meditation throughout Scripture is also translated as these words. Imagine, studieth, utter, mutter, talk, speak. He said, that doesn't sound like meditation. That sounds like talking. This is what the word means. Put these ideas together. We'll find out. He continues. He says, the word translated meditation throughout Scripture is also translated imagine, picture it. You're picturing it. You're not just reading your Bible. You're not just reading your Bible one time. You're not just reading your Bible five times. I've already read that. No. You're going over it and over it, and you're picturing it. He continues. It's, it's translated, study. it, utter, mutter, talk, speak, and the word mourn, M-O-U-R-E-N. He says, it is usually defined as murmuring. murmuring. What's that? What, are they, what are they doing over there? Are they talking to themselves? Yeah, they do that a lot. What are they saying? Just talking to themselves. About what? Just Bible principles. Kind of keep them washing through their brain. He says, it is usually defined as murmuring or speaking to oneself. And he writes the following. Many of the passages that deal with the sins of immorality, we have read, but we've not thought about in a way that impacts our heart. We've read that, but we've not really thought about it in a way that, like, oh, I get what that's saying. And if you're taking notes, I offer this from Hummel. He says, what God has already given us in his written word are the very words he would speak to us if we were in a one-on-one counseling situation. Jeff, I don't need you. I don't think you've got any answers. Could you imagine? What if we could like, just get across from Jesus himself and sit down? He's behind the desk, and we're on the other side. What if we could have an hour with Jesus every week? What well, Hummel is offering, and what I'm proposing in agreement is... The very words he's already giving you are the words he would give you in a one-on-one counseling situation. So what you need to do is, then I need to find those words. Find those words. Many of them are in this little book. Go over them, over them. Speak them out loud. Maybe throw one of those in the car, wherever the tempting situation keeps coming up. Uh-uh, you're not getting me this time. I'm going to go to that That one's one of my favorite ones, and you just keep rehearsing it. No, consider, present. No, consider, present. You are not my boss. Get out of here, sin. And then back to Matthew, the fifth thing this morning. Arm yourselves with specific scriptures. Feed the Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Better learn Romans 6, number 5. Identify and remove triggers. Identify and remove triggers. So this is key. Are you in Matthew 5? Look at verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, Verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin. Everybody listen. I'm going to get real practical. My goal is never to be fancy. It's to make simple and usable, hopefully. You see the phrase causes you to sin? You know what it means? Stumbling stone. Stumbling block. Don't spiritualize what Jesus is saying yet. Don't use it spirit. Just keep it practical. You say, what's a stumbling stone? Yeah, it's a stone that's in your path that regularly makes you fall. Nothing fancy. So I've wrote this sentence. Don't spiritualize it. I'm going to do that in a moment. Just go here first. If something is in your normal course of living that regularly makes you fall. I'm not going to finish the sentence yet. If something's in your regular course of living and it regularly makes you fall. I'm 49, guys. I'm too old to be falling. I'm not like a little toddler anymore. They fall all the time. I don't want to be falling. I want you to picture, man. I was talking to Miss Melody this morning, and most of us have nice, crispy grass, but because uh, it's not rained in a while, it's been real hot. I want you to picture you've got a solution, and so you've run a hose, and you've got you a splitter, and you've got a hose going over there, and it's got one of those old time because you don't have the underground hoses. You don't have the underground irrigation. That's fine. I want to help my grass and so you've got a hose going over there and a hose going over there and a hose going around the side of the house and they're all running across the sidewalk. If, I'm going to propose to you, if you put those out last week and you thought, I don't want to keep rolling and unrolling. I'm just going to leave them out. But if, If you came out Monday, not paying attention, on your phone, got something in your hands, and you hit that hose, and I mean you fully sprawled out, I mean skint your elbow, hands, shattered the screen on your iPhone. I mean like... And then you get up and go to work. And if you come back home, turn the sprinklers on, if it gets you again on Thursday just when they're starting to get a little bit of that fresh, that yellowish color of scab, not scab, but it's going to turn into... And you peel all that off, same place, it's full. I think you'd be, hm. I'm going to move the hoses. I'm on. But the other day we had a funeral, and these steps were moved over here, and they were kind of little rocky. I don't know what it is, something in the floor. Picture if these steps, on a regular basis... Not every week, but at least once a month, every six weeks. We step here, and they flip. And you guys go, yeah, Jeff fell again today. (laughs) He's notorious. He's showing me. He's got some serious bruising. Or, did you see the worship team member? Which one was it? This one. They went full face plant. Steps got him again. I don't want to break what Jesus said last week about insulting, but if we keep doing that, we're idiots. We're idiots if we just keep. So here's what Jesus is saying. Is Jesus saying literally tear your eye out? I've noticed my eye keeps causing me to. No. What he's saying is listen. Be effective in your action. Take effective action. So I'm going to propose a sentence. It's in your handout. What's he saying? If you know something in your life keeps causing you to sin. Then get rid of it. Even if it seems important. I wrote myself a little note over on the side. Simple statement, but needs repeated. Even though you're writing it, I need to... If you know something in your life, I know that thing keeps causing me to sin, get rid of it, even if it seems important. I wrote myself another little note. The first note, as I just said, simple statement, needs repeated, and then in parentheses, again. Here we go again, one more time. I'm not going to read it four times. I'm going to read it three times. If you know something in your life keeps causing you to sin, then get rid of it, even if it seems important. But that's my eye. I have to have, but it keeps causing you to sin. That's my hand, but it's my phone. It's my phone. If it keeps causing you to sin, Get rid of it. Or you're an, I'm not going to finish that sentence. You're unwise. Psalm 101, I told you we had three extra verses. Psalm 101, what if we did this? Psalm 101, verse three, David. David says, I will not set before my eyes. This man's making a vow. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. We know in the King James the word worthless there means wicked. I will set before mine eyes no wicked thing. The King David, who's already failed, he's learned a hard mistake. He's had kids die because of the huge mistake that he made with his eyes that led him to adultery, that led to murder. Verse number three, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. Everybody listen to me for a moment. Listen to me. There are men who will lie awake tonight thinking of new ways they can hook you on pornography. They're laying awake tonight thinking of it. David says, I hate the work of those who fall away, who turn aside off of the path of the Lord. It shall not cling to me. You know what he's saying? I know that what we see clings to us, cleaves to us, and surely if what we see clings to us, then what we look at really clings to us and they're not going to get me. And so you knew as I was preaching this message, I would have to make these comments. If you know something in your life keeps on causing you to sin, then get rid of it even if it seems important. Boy, we live in a tough day. I'm not going to stand here and say that it wasn't hard to stay pure in other days. Every generation, it is hard to live for the Lord. Every generation. I mean 500 A.D., 1000 B.C., 400 years ago, 100 years ago. It is always hard. But I am going to tell you, and this is not to kind of put us off the hook. It's to cause us to really focus. We live in a unique day when technology allows easy access to look at people with lustful intent. It used to be 50 years ago, if it was 1 a.m., you're out of luck if you want to look at someone lustfully. You're just not going to be able to do that. We live in a day, it is so easy. I'm going to tell you, it is extremely difficult to stay pure in 2019. Right, you can't do it, Jeff. Yes, you can. It is possible. Now, here's what's tough. Many people think it is not possible to have a full life without heavy doses of technology. Got to have a heavy dose of technology. It's 2019. I'm not going to be the, the nerd. Actually, I want to be the nerd. Nerd is cool these days. I'm not going to be the non nerd without technology. And so they think, it's just, you, you can't live in 2019 without heavy doses of technology. Listen to me. I came to tell us that it may not be possible for you to have an abundant life with technology. You can't, you can't do it. You got to have it. No, you may not have an abundant life with technology. She's so saying, so all technology, Jeff's now preaching against all technology. No, hear me. If technology can be used with purity, Praise the Lord, enjoy it, use it. But if you can't, Jesus says, cut it off. Don't taper it off, cut it off. I'm nearing the end of my message. Would you look at verse 29? If your right eye causes you to sin. Verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin. Literally what, I, I, what this is saying is, this is calling for spiritual observation. Have you noticed your right eye keeps causing you to sin. Your right hand, your strong hand. Have you noticed a pattern? It's your eye. It's your hand. I propose the following. It's calling for spiritual observation. So everybody listen. Be, what you say? Lust isn't my thing. Well, if gossip is your thing, anger is your thing, greed, discontent, whatever it is, the principles apply. Be aware of things in your life that regularly trip you up. We rarely go from spiritual to carnal in one step. It doesn't usually happen that way. We're just living with the Lord, right with the Lord, had a good time with the Lord, walking with the Spirit, something pops up, I'm immediately in sin. It just doesn't typically happen that way. We don't go from spiritual to carnal. There are steps that are taken, and I'm going to ask you, pay attention, be a good spiritual scientist about yourself and start learning your ways, know yourself. A man that I've never met, and I've read his little bitty book called Six Battles Every Man Must Win, named Bill Perkins. I don't know a lot about Bill Perkins, so I'm not endorsing everything he ever said. I can endorse that book, Six Battles Every Man Must Win. Bill Perkins writes the following This is key, please get it. A ritual. So, what are we saying? What's this? You've got to feed the Spirit. You've got to rely on the Holy Spirit. You better learn what Romans 6 is about. And then you better arm yourself with some specific passages of Scripture that deal with whatever sin it is. Number six. You better identify and eliminate the triggers. Perkins writes, quote, A ritual is a practice or pattern of behavior regularly performed. Read it again. A ritual is a practice or pattern of behavior regularly performed in a set manner. Not in your handout. He says we tend to ritualize those behaviors that excite us. That excites. They don't always have to be sinful. But when something excites us, we, you, it may, for you it may be every such and such a day of the week, every certain day of the week, we always eat something. And I get, you get excited about that day. So you have your little rituals, your little patterns of behavior. He says we tend to ritualize those behaviors that excite us. Again, a ritual, practice, a pattern of behavior regularly performed in a set manner. Here it comes. Nothing is more important for a man, we could say, or a woman who wants to win the battle for his heart than identifying the rituals that precede an episode of acting out sin. When the same sin keeps conquering you, it's because you and your... Old sin nature has found that to be exciting, and I'll promise you, if you'll look, you probably have some behavior that is repeated that keeps going back to that. Here's my challenge. Learn yourself. Know your rituals. Know your triggers. Learn the thing that, man, I'm I'm getting ready to do something, and I know where that has gotten me many, many times. So I challenge you this week, take an honest observation. What are those rituals that are personal to you? You may be here this morning and you're a man or a woman, honestly, you know that when you take your phone out, other than to answer it or to text, it regularly takes you to a sinful temptation. You may be person here this morning and this is you, you know that when you open your computer and you're the only one around, it regularly takes you to a place of temptation. You may be a person here this morning and you know that when you get in the car alone to run any kind of errand, it's typically, you know the pattern, you're going to be that person that's looking all around with lustful intention in your heart. If you know that, another, if you're a person who knows in the regular course of your week something in your route, your routine, there's this certain person and I go by there twice a week. And I know that that person's there. Or maybe it's not an actual person. It's a calendar on the wall in their office when I have to get their signature. And you know it's there. And you know what it does to you every single time. It always takes you there. Then what do you do? Just keep losing? No. Prepare. Pray. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Get yourself ready. Be rehearsing. Protect the eyes. And if you have to, take extreme measures. Jeff, what are extreme measures? I don't do this, I, don't, I ain't going to say I've never looked at YouTube because I have. If you make a habit of, of all the time surfing YouTube, you're begging for trouble. You're begging for it. If you in your heart say the last 12 times I've been surfing on YouTube and clicked on something, three of those led me to sinful temptation. Hello? It was only three. Hello? Hello? If the last 10 times you've surfed Netflix and three of those have led you to go start watching something that you know took you to a place you shouldn't go internally, hello, this isn't Rocket Scientist, that thing keeps tripping you up. But it's Netflix. And I can't give up my YouTube. Jesus says give up your eye and your arm. Can't handle that. i got to have a phone. Then get crazy. No data plan. Oh, come (laughs) on. Our preacher, I'm not even coming back there. No data plan for you. Tell them, could you please cut mine off? Thanks. I just need a phone and something to text with. People at work got to get a hold of me. You know, Jeff, this is stupid. No one's going to walk out of here. If you can't do it by these other measures, then identify the rituals and eliminate them. So I can't handle the computer thing. Then your spouse learns the code to get you on, and you don't get to look at the computer until... He's home or she's home, and they can log you on. Well, what if I have to? Yep. Sorry, you've got yourself in this position. And if you have to get really radical, well, I got this one spot on my job, on on my job, and it's it's this one thing in the route. Get a new job, get a different job. Amen, Jeff. All right, thank you. All right, here's where I close. Look at verse twenty-nine thirty. We really are closing. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Why? It is better. That you lose one of your members than let your whole body be thrown into hell. Wait a minute. And if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body. I'm not going deep into this. I'm gonna throw it out. And if you need to talk to me, you come talk to me today. I'm gonna to be here eating. If you need to talk to me today, Jesus is uniquely qualified to compare this world and eternity. He's, he's not, I'm not going to say he's been. He's in eternity past. He's in eternity future. He's in this. 2,000 years ago, he walked this earth. He knows all about this life. And here's what he says. It is better to do without something in this life, even if you think it is important. It's better to do without it in this life than to lose everything in the next life. Now, I want you to Who, who do you think he might be? I think he's actually singling out this person. They're here this morning. They're watching online. They know the gospel. They've heard the gospel, and they know it's about taking Jesus as Lord and Savior, but in their heart, I don't want to give up my pet sin. I frankly, they wouldn't word it this way, but the fact is, they love their sin more than they love Jesus, and I'm not ready to become a Christian because he might try to take away my favorite sin. So, Jeff, what do you tell that person? Well, just bow your head and close your eyes and say a little prayer. No, I'm not going to tell you. Don't play that little game and fool yourself. You have to repent and you say, Jesus, you are the Lord. I anticipate you are going to take that out of my life. I can't. You're going to do it. Your Holy Spirit's going to come in and just wreck the old me. I'm ready for that to happen. And until you're ready for that to happen, you're lost and on your way to hell. Now, here's the thing. Every person in hell right now, it's a real place, they all agree with what Jesus just said. They would all say, it is so much better to lose there. Give it up. Don't come here. I'm telling you, every person in hell, if there's anybody here this morning you're thinking, I am not a Christian. I've heard over and over what it takes. It is simply grace, but I'm not ready to, ha- to, ch- to have my life changed by Christ. You better repent. Every person in hell would love to be you. And you're not a Christian. Because if they could be you, they would become a Christian immediately. You better change your values. You better repent of your sin. You better place your trust in Christ. If you need help with that, see me this morning after the service. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Before I pray, I'm talking to Christians, to Christians. I'm going to pray. Christian, what are you in your heart? What are you in your heart? See, Jeff, based off of last week and this week, I am a murderous adulterer. If you personally struggle with lust, here's my question. Which of the five strategies do you need to add to your life? Because I'm here to tell you, you do all five strategies, you will still be tempted, but you're going to be so victorious compared to you without one of these. Some of you may be like, I don't have any of these in my life, Jeff. I don't have a regular time with God. I don't feed my spirit. My spirit is so weak, it is not robust. Then you just, you're just you going to have to do it. Pluck out the right eye. Cut off the right hand. Make it a priority. Get up. It's not going to save your soul, but it will help give you victory over sin. The Holy Spirit lives in believers. Again, I'm talking to saved people. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Is that the one... Like, I've really got to learn what the Holy Spirit sounds. I've got to run to Him in times of temptation. Yes. Is this one yours? I'm I'm, I'm going to have to get on the website, and I'm going to have to just start digging in Romans 6 until it is just pounded in my theology. Then do it. Or do you need to arm yourself with very specific passages? Just slow, one at a time, one at a time. Memorize it. Run to it. Say it out loud. Rehearse it. Or is it this simple? Jeff, I've done the other things. But there are certain patterns in my life. Now that I think about it, I've noticed it's always before this or right after that. That's when I get in trouble. Then let the Holy Spirit tell you what you need to do. Father, you're powerful. Lord, we claim the blood of Jesus Christ over all believers that in him he not only washes away all the sin of our past and our future, and we've been redeemed from its penalty. But Lord, we know that when we run to Christ, there is power to have victory over any of these sins in the moment. Your Holy Spirit, Father, let us learn what He sounds like, and He pours love into us, and we love our neighbor, and we love you. And we would not think lustfully against them, and we would not think lustfully against toward our neighbor's wife against him or against her toward her husband lord you will give us victory because we love them we're not going to harm them that way we wouldn't lead them to sin we wouldn't sin with them in our hearts so lord i i pray lord i even pray right now for those who have a bad habit of provocatively being in such a way presented that they're a stumbling stone to brothers or sisters in Christ, Lord, that they would weigh that. And your Holy Spirit will clean us and make us pure, godly. Let us hate our sin. And Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit, let us be putting our sin to death every day. We ask in Christ's name.
1: Why don't you stand? What can wash away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus What can make me whole again Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow White as snow No other founts I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh precious is the flow That makes me white as snow But the blood of
0: Jesus. Amen. Thank you for your attention. I'm going to pray, and in a moment, our children's workers, if you helped us in 2019, we're inviting you to join us uh, to your left uh, for our lunch. Um, I will repeat at the uh, couple of the exits. You'd have to look over on, just a couple over there on the... Welcome Center Station, three or four right there, I believe, and a couple back there. If you have a friend that could use that uh, book on Lest You Fall, uh, you grab them for as many as are there. And hopefully next week we'll have 12 more copies come in if you need that. Um, Take a peek at what next week's passage. I think we should be going into the next two verses next week. Um, I would strongly encourage you to be here for that if you can. Uh, Wednesday night we'll have a prayer time, prayer emphasis and uh, Laura Donovan, our director of missions here, she'll be taking about 15 minutes and highlighting one, of one or some of our missions and what we're trying to do, even among our children. And we'll definitely focus on some mission prayer as well as some other things. So uh, thank you for coming. Let's pray for our meal.